Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar. In 2006, I first came to India for work and basically never looked back. My journey took me through learning Hindi, living in multiple parts of India, and after a few years, I met The Invisible India podcast isn't just a place where I share about being married to an Indian, being a foreigner in India, the language learning process, and cross-cultural parenting. But it is a platform to highlight the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture by featuring stereotype-breaking Indians making waves in society. So let's go. Headphone lagake suniye hamare saath. Sabko namaste. Main Jessica hu. Welcome back to the Invisible India podcast, episode 78, Educational Differences Between the West and India. I'm specifically going to talk about the US. I unintentionally took the month of October off from the podcast. Can anyone guess why? It's the festival season in India. Rakshabandhan, Tej, Dasera, Diwali, Chhat Puja, Halloween. So much food, so many saris, so many sweets. I'm just kind of honestly wiped out. Plus the transition from moving, I mean back to India from being in the US for a while just honestly wiped me out. So I um I swear for Thanksgiving I'm going camping. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> And of course I thought it would be a great idea to launch my course this fall. I clearly overestimated myself and uh I just really struggled to get the podcast episode out. Even today I'm struggling with a barking dog out my window, dishes being banged around in the kitchen and my daughter running around deciding that she's going to scream. So I'm doing my best every swear every time I try to sit down and record in the last 2 months there was construction going on in the flat above ours boom 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 or there was drilling or there was yes we did have a rat in our kitchen too so that was like tick, 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 like making lots of banging sounds inside of our the piping in our kitchen it was just so much noise so i decided that completion is more important than perfection and so here you have it apologize for background noise which may be in this episode today i want to talk about the educational system so many questions about this before we do that i'm going to tell you a little bit about my new course It is live overcome Hindi pronunciation pitfalls. I always say that pronunciation is the most critical part of South Asian languages. Really any language you need to have good pronunciation, but particularly in South Asia, it's more important than having good grammar. It's more important than having proper vocabulary or even sentence structure. Pronunciation is very very critical. If you have fantastic grammar, good vocabulary, but if your pronunciation is bad, Hindi speakers are going to say, "Oh, she speaks a little bit of Hindi." That's it. <laughs> It's so insulting sometimes, right? When you when you see someone that has incredible vocabulary but they're like, "Eh, yeah, they like kind of speak Hindi." What? Pronunciation is the one major thing that Indians use to judge your language ability. So, this is why I created the Pronunciation Pitfalls course. It goes through the most common mispronunciations from uh people in the west that could be folks like myself or uh NRIs people who have indian roots but have grown up somewhere else it's for you too of course i want to remind you all that uh if you subscribe to my newsletter i oftentimes will have little treats in there discounts 
or sneak previews for things. That's where I kind of share like the good stuff. So subscribe to the newsletter. It's on invisibleindiapodcast.com. You can go to my homepage there and there will be just a prompt at the bottom to sign up for the newsletter. You may have also noticed that I changed my YouTube channel name, my Instagram name, my TikTok name, and my Facebook name. Instead of being Invisible India, it's now India with Jessica. And the reason for that is that, you know, I'm doing the Hindi courses, I'm doing different things on social media. It just wasn't all following under the Invisible India concept. So the podcast is still Invisible India. It's going to continue like this. But underneath India with Jessica is both Invisible India and the Learn Hindi Anywhere courses. So those two things, and it's all under India with Jessica. If you want to see my face talking to you (laughs) and telling you these same things that I'm going to share on the episode, you can go to my YouTube channel and check out the video of this episode. It's a shorter version. So this episode is in response to a lot of questions, but I think this question from Laura in Hawaii sums it up really well. She says, how do you handle mentally and emotionally the differences in your children's education versus that in the U.S.? What are you missing from the U.S.? And what are you glad to have in India over what you had in the U.S., both material and abstract? So I'm going to start with our particular story, and you can, as the listener, kind of inject yourself or remove yourself from the similarities and dissimilarities. Currently, at the time of recording this episode, we have an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old, and we had put our older one, our son, in, gosh, four, if you count homeschooling, it would be five different schools in five different years. So it was extremely taxing for him just emotionally to, you know, figure out all the different systems and teachers and ways of doing things. Uh, Two of the schools we had him in in India and then we had homeschooling. We did 10 months in America in a public school in the suburbs of Chicago and then now we've come back and we have him in an international school here in India. We have kind of done it all, I guess you could say, except for boarding schools and there have just been a lot of learnings we've had. Our daughter has a little bit more of a I don't want to say compliant attitude, but just she is a little more studious. She likes to sit and she likes to write and she likes to uh, be in the class environment. And uh, the Indian system worked fine for her. She's done well with even the convent school. We had her in a little play school. We had her in a convent school, which if you know anything about that, they're like very large institutions in India where you just kind of have to fall into line and do whatever they say because there are, you know, like 4,000 students in the school. (laughs) So you have to comply to their systems. So for us, we've kind of done everything and we found that what works for our son and what works for our daughter were actually not the same. So we've had to make some adjustments in our lifestyle and in the way we approach both of their education. One of the main questions that I get from listeners and from folks on my social media is NRIs who are considering the move back to India, like non-resident Indian is NRI, 
people who have Indian roots but are living abroad. How do you make the transition? You know, my family been working in the U.S. and we, you know, my parents are getting older or I want my kids to, you know, understand and live in India. We're thinking about moving back to India. But my kids' education, I just am not sure how to do this thing. This is for you if that's your situation. Or on the other hand, many people have asked me, as Westerners, how do I make the move for my Western kids in India? If you have, uh, if you're working here in India, or if you've been on an assignment, or if you're married to an Indian person and you didn't grow up here, how do you navigate the system? On the other hand, too, many Indians are um, moving to the West for jobs, for education. And that's valid too. And so what are the differences that you need to know? Let's approach the first two scenarios first. I think it's a more challenging shift. So let's talk about that. I'm going to spend most of the time talking about that. Approaching the educational system in India as a foreigner or an NRI who is returning, there are a couple of things you need to look at and ask the school. Will your child do well in a large school? Will they do better in a small school? What are the rules and regulations that that school has? I think sometimes we think about safety, we think about standards, we think about the difficulty of the study, the quality of the education. However, a lot of times we don't think about the way that they treat the kids in the class, the way that other students behave in the class. These are very important things to look at. So how do you choose a school? Here is my list of questions to ask not only the school, but other parents who have sent their kids there. I think it's really important to consider that. What are the other parents' experiences? They may or may not be in the same life phase as you, but how does their experience measure up to your experience? If you ask the school these questions directly, they're never going to give you a straight answer. That's just how it is in India. But you can find out from other people. If you ask straight up, do you hit children when they're misbehaving? Every single school is going to say no. You need to probe more. You need to ask other parents. And what I would rather ask is a specific situation. What would you do if a child didn't wear their uniform? What would you do if a child didn't do their homework? What would you do if a child got in a fight in the class? What would you do if the child was being disruptive? If you ask, oh, what's your discipline strategy? Most schools don't have a discipline strategy. It depends on the teacher, and the teacher can do whatever they want. You have to ask specifically what in those situations, what would be done. And if they don't give you a good answer, that shows you right there that they're not actually thinking through the behavior. They're just reacting. That might be a red flag. Um, We have definitely had uh, asked this question of how do you discipline the kids? And they're like, oh, we never, we don't do that. And I straight up asked, do you hit children? Never, never. And in two of the schools that we put our kid in, in India, uh, he was hit both times in in the class. Definitely traumatizing for him, as you know, other kids I guess get hit at home. But uh, if you're if you're not used to being hit at home and being hit in the school in front of everyone, that's kind of traumatizing. Another thing to ask is about the homework and what are the expectations of hours of study at home. Um, how much homework does the child receive per day? That's an important question to ask to find out. What's their expectation? Is it 10 minutes? Is it an hour? Is it every single night? What kind of homework? Is it projects? Do you as a parent need to be involved? That's kind of a big deal. 
find out. A major one that actually was a big source of tension for us that I never would think to have asked is how do I communicate with the school? In India, specifically, a lot of the schools have tons and tons of students and they have very specific systems that you have to follow in communicating with the school. For example, the school that we put our daughter in, uh, we had, it was this huge convent school and they have 4,000 students. And I would have assumed that we would have every communication by WhatsApp or you could just ask a question to the teacher by phone. Or if there's an absence that's required for the student that you can just let the teacher know or, you know, send a note in their backpack or whatever. It doesn't work that way. We had to hand submit what's called an application, which is basically a handwritten note explaining why the child is going to be gone and you have to go submit it at the school during their visiting hours. It just was so annoying. I'm like, you're telling me you have 4,000 parents doing this for every time that there's an app, an absence or a sickness. Like you can't just call the teacher. You can't send an email, forget email. They don't use email. WhatsApp message, text. You can't do that. No, it had to be in person. And they somehow didn't like my typed uh, applications either. That just seemed absurd to me. They wanted it handwritten. It just seemed weird, the whole thing. So finding out how the communication needs to be with the school uh, might be a make it or break it kind of situation. This is a, a, a minor note too. One school we were looking at for our, our, uh, our son, uh, the uniforms just looked treacherous. They looked so uncomfortable. I thought he's going to hate me every day. He's never going to wear this. And, you know, just the, the whole sensory experience of wearing this rigid shirt. And I'm like, I'm going to have to wash and bleach this white shirt with these suspenders. And that's going to be terrible. I'm not putting my, I'm not, even, I just decided for that reason itself, we cut that school from the short list. <laughs> just those kind of small things you should look at and realize that these small things can really impact your child and uh, make it easier or more difficult for them to learn. Some of the things that folks ask about is what are the boards like in Indian schools? There are different boards and the majority of the schools are going to be CBSC. There's also IB, there's Cambridge, and then there are state boards. Familiarize yourself with these and you can do some research. Most people put their kids in IB or CBSC. That's the most common. And with any school that has that standard is basically going to have a lot of homework and they're going to have specific requirements of your child. So, um, and there of course are international, straight up international schools that are completely kind of on their own system and follow an American system or a British system. The other question that I have heard folks ask is, is the education transferable if you move back to the States or if you move from the States to India? Honestly, I have never had an issue with any of the paperwork. Most of the time, the schools in America will kind of, especially a public school, they'll just take you wherever you are. You just have to submit, you know, some of their records, but it's not even like you don't have to submit all this stuff from the school. You just kind of put the kid in the school and give whatever documents you have, and it's typically good enough, address proof, whatnot. From In India, it's a little more tricky. They definitely want to see the child has been in school. They want to see that the child has good standing in the school they left. Um, so sometimes that can be a little tricky. You need to get a letter from the school just saying this kid is transferring or it's a recommendation that they need from the other school. 
Um, so that might be something you have to look into. Honestly, it's never been the paperwork that's been an issue. It's more about the behavior. It's more about the knowledge transfer or lack of knowledge transfer and the whole like way of using shame as a motivator versus versus instilling a love of learning in a child. I'm going to lay down some hard rules here. Of course, there are exceptions to everything, but this is in my opinion. If you are thinking of moving to India, I would not really consider doing that if your kids are over 10 years old. And if you're thinking of putting them in anything else except for an international school, a lot of schools also say they're international, but they're not actually affiliated with an international board or an actual like American system, British system. Find out what is their actual mode. Are they affiliated with CBSC? If they are, that means they're not a real international school. If your child is over 10 years old, I would not come back to India to put them in anything else except an international or a boarding school. Boarding school also that really depends on your child and their abilities, their abilities to be away from you or to be independent. If your child is under 10 years old, I think it can be done. I think that it's adjustable. I think your kid can make the change from the Western system, which is more creative. It's project oriented. It's, uh, you know, not a rote memorization. There's not as much pressure on the child academically. However, they tend to learn really well because it's a fun environment in most Western schools. Um, and I just think it's, it's the education in India under 10 is actually great. I think there's a lot, um, that can take place, a lot of, of ways that kids can grow and actually have a great experience. If your kid's over 10, I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't do it. It's, it's, it's very going to be a lot of trauma and difficulty for your kid and your kid may not love learning. <laughs> if you are making the shift to a Western country from India, I think basically any age will, will work. Um, the, the kids typically that I've seen do extremely well making that shift from India to a more creative system. A lot of them do totally fine, very well. They're, they learn the whole self-motivation, um, tend to do just fine going the other way. It's usually putting a kid into an Indian school at an older age that is really tough. But putting a kid into a Western school at an older age is typically a pretty smooth transition. So that's really the questions that I would uh, suggest. You know, you're asking about the exams, about the homework, about the behaviors in the school. And I just think that, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity. Great schools in India. There are uh, wonderful things that you can teach your child from living in India. And obviously we're doing it. Um, and I think that there's a lot of good things about moving your kid from India to the U.S. as well. It just depends on your values and your goals for your life and where you're wanting to take your life and, and hoping for your kid's future as well. So um, thanks for listening. Again, please check out the YouTube version of this episode. Please check out my course, the Overcome Hindi Pronunciation Pitfalls, and then my beginner course, Hindi Hacks as well. Thank you so much. Dhanyavad sunni ke liye. Till next time.